Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 134. Said that English styled. One Corinthians, Jesse. One Corinthians, favorite book. <laughs> episode 134. Pleasure Games, we are broadcasting live, live for us. We are both live in the worldwide headquarters of the Gospel Underground here in Blacksburg. Virginia, Jesse, I'm just glad to be home, sleeping a little bit in my own bed. Mm. And by that, I've been in October. I was in way too many hotels uh, for... You were gone so much. I know. For for a lot of it, this time was personal reasons, even, because... Uh, Kyleen playing college soccer, soccer, visiting my mom, watching. She's the like the best game. player, right? She I don't is. know. She's she's she is. she's one of. She's done really well as a she's freshman. She's the best on the um, University of the South. <laughs> she's she's balling a little bit. She's tied for lead in goals, leading the team in assists, and uh, she's had a great freshman campaign. What they, I hear is she's the best. <laughs> well, I think that, of course, but you're putting me in a bad spot here, Jesse. But they won she's, their. Yeah. Conference. That I think it's the second time they've won this conference. First time outright, so they wow. didn't tie. They won it on the last day by beating a nationally ranked team two to one. Kai scored in that game. So you're saying um, that before your daughter, before Kai was on the team, <laughs> they didn't win. She's the leading scorer and the leading. She's the leading goal scorer tied. Tied. Yeah. And yeah, the leading assist. Yeah. And I'm, she scored I, in the game against the nationally ranked team. Yeah, I think I, she's the best. I'm saying she's doing well as a freshman. Yes. They're super excited. They're the number one seed in their conference tournament. They already won in their quarterfinals. Let's go. And they have a tough game coming up on Friday, which I won't. I'll be here this weekend. Casey, I think, is going okay. to the quarters or semis and hopefully finals. And they have a shot. If they win the league, they will go to the NCAA tournament, Ooh. which I think, I don't know if they've done that before. Wow. Um, let's go, and, Kai. Uh, let's go, University of the Sewanee Tigers. So, uh, University of the South, good luck to them. But yeah, it was that and some work travel as well. And just, uh, and then went with my son and my father in law. So, three generations of men. It was kind of mm. nice to watch a Formula One car race, uh, which was a gift from our whole family to. Uh, Tommy for a 16 year old birthday, which was in August, but we got to go to Austin to the uh, Circuit of the Americas and watch race cars. Which man, it was a little bit better experience than I even anticipated. Was it? it, it I it, mean, they must go so fast. It, I, mean, they I, mean, look, I don't know anything about. They look Formula like One. space age rocket cars. They zoom by. Oh it. yeah, it was really fun and just the environment. I guess over the weekend there were 450 thousand wow. people that attended, and I think on the final day, you know, between I don't know 150 thousand people one day. It's like a carnival, man. It's like wild, wild. <laughs> Stuff. So do they just shut the city down? How does that work? No, it's actually at a track, so it's out on land. So they oh. have like restaurants and music stage. I guess Ed Sheeran played. It was part of our ticket on Saturday night, which you Kate, didn't go. No, I didn't go. It was three men. Well, we we're gonna go see Ed Sheeran. My 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 daughter though, Kayla's like, Dad, you, you missed you, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, if she was there, I would have been there to midnight yeah. singing Ed Sheeran Castle on a Hill or something, man, with with Kayla. But yeah, I finally got home, and now we're heading to wrestling season with the Hokies, and so that's kind of. Kind of my mm. life, and we've been trying to get together, you and I, but you've had car difficulties. Which still have car difficulties, Reed. I, I really am not ready to talk about it yet. You're you're not <laughs> openly angry, just like above, I, below I, the surface angry. Yeah, yeah. there's just a simmering discontentment, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, 
with my stuff not working, but I'm here. I'm in the shed quarters. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. And uh, yeah, Sacred Games, we're we're heading through. Uh, we'll probably have one more after this, Jesse. Uh, we, we were thinking about doing two, one on war and one on politics. But it's all the same now anyway, yeah. politics and war. So let's just group them together. Exactly. So we'll probably do one more on yeah. some sort of conflict issue or as, you know, I guess if the Jedi's once said that... Uh, War is simply uh, 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 politics with a lightsaber, I guess. So, or or missiles. So we'll we'll do that next. But today we're finishing up uh, with um, kind of a section uh, that deals with our desires, and we've called this pleasure games, right? Uh, which is a you know I, I, like, I, yeah, I got want... here and I said I'm not doing pleasure games with you here. That's right. Reed, that's right. It's, but we can talk about it. It's it's a, it was a hard decision to stick with the to title because yeah. like what if somebody Google's that? That's not something that that's <laughs> gospel <prof> underground pleasure <laughs> games. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's the way to do it. Google <laughs> it that way, you'll find the episode. Uh, but where we've been, like we looked at power games, right? And again, if you're joining us for the first time today on this episode, Sacred Games yeah. comes from afraid from Friedrich Nietzsche that looked at what society would build itself upon if it moved past or denied the existence of God, the centrality of religion. Uh, does human do human beings all of a sudden become a-religious and just kind of fully secular? Well, no, never has been, never will be. Um, so his question was, what sacred games will we create for ourselves? And we're looking at, well, we've done that as a civilization. Mm. Uh, what festivals of atonement will mm -hmm. we make? So we've looked at the power game like reducing all of life to oppressing oppressors or saviors or allies, enemies, saviors, that kind of stuff. Uh, connection games, how connection is important, but people can become tribal in either good or bad ways. Uh, consumer games that we either look at religious activities of the soul worship as a consumer and create these eclectic bespoke religions for ourselves, uh, or we can create a religion out of our consumption. Mm. Like, hey, I'm a Tesla guy, so we're better than you, right? That kind of thing. And today we look at pleasure itself. Now, before we get to that, Jesse, I need to make a correction. Mm. Not that we're the, you know, the 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 newspaper of record that needs to correct ourselves, but I quoted some, uh, I guess, folklore a couple episodes from G.K. Chesterton that someone had said that when when people choose to disbelieve in God, they don't believe in nothing; they become capable of believing in anything. Well, apparently, I went to track down that source for this quote. And apparently it's not by Chesterton at all. It's by somebody who wrote a book on Chesterton mm. named Emile Camaret. I think is how you might say it's French, The Laughing Prophet, Seven Virtues, uh, and G.K. Chesterton. So this idea, though, that men do not become neutral when they disbelieve in God. They don't believe in nothing. They become capable mm. of believing in anything. Now, I, I saw I saw an example of this, Jesse, when I was at the Formula One race. Do you mind if I tell you a little story? Just oh, so? I want to hear it because I don't know anything about Formula One <laughs> okay. racing. Well, this has nothing to do with Formula One racing other than uh, if you were taking an Uber to try to get to the race, they dropped you off at this massive Texas high school, looked like a college. Uh, the football stadium certainly did. And you kind of had to wait for these charter buses to come and pick you up and take you like three miles to okay. the track where then you walked like a mile up a hit dirt trail to the track and go in. But while we were waiting in line, I was with my father-in-law who's who worked in pharmaceutical manufacturing for years. He's a biochemistry guy, you know, kind of thing. And we were standing there and we had some 
people behind us that began engaging in vigorous conversation. And it really brought to my uh, mind and my reality uh, how people do kind of believe in lots of things today. And so the conversation was about first about water. And so this young uh, 20-something-year-old female began to talk about water when she was in Scandinavia. I think she visited Sweden like to study or visit or something. And she's like, oh yeah, the water in Scandinavia is so much better than the water anywhere else. And I looked at my father-in-law's face because, you know, water is, you know, it's H2O basically everywhere (laughs) on the earth. I mean, it might have some extra stuff in it, you know, here and there. Um, but she said, yeah, it's, it was, it was so good and such great water that you could, you only have to drink half as much to get hydrated. So it just replenishes your cells and your body. And she started going into this <laughs> big treatise on water, which was, it was utter oh, nonsense. Man. And then, and then her friend, this guy switched the conversation quickly where he started talking about a bachelor party he was going to that had these two activities. The first one was they were going to talk to aliens Okay, I guess with some super electromagnetic antenna, Um, they were doing that activity. And then they were also having a spiritual shaman come in uh, to help them through like psychic and emotional healing. And it involved mushrooms, of course, and some sort of psychedelics. And so and then the, the, the other girl with them started talking about how she's participating in creating culture in Austin, because I guess there's some big Instagram account that's placing rubber duckies all over the place and taking pictures of them. And so she's doing it. It's not the big account, but she's contributing to creating culture. Uh in Austin. <laughs> Making the world a better place, then, one rubber ducky at a and time. Then, and then finally, they went back to water talking about the TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, Jesse, but the TikTok water sommelier, which I guess is the French for, for some <laughs> expert curation of wine. And I just thought to myself, what sacred games will we make for ourselves? What festivals of atonement? Shall we make? Yeah, and of it, course, this is that's exactly what we, we. Of course, I think in every episode we've mentioned uh, Tara Tara Burton's book, Strange Rights. That's right. And so, I mean, you just you experience what she's talking about. How we're, we're the remix religions. Not we're not the nuns. We're meaning a, a little bit of this, yeah. a little bit of that, yeah. and it was uh, quite funny. And then, of course, my my father in law, he's like a baby boomer guy, right? And a science guy. He's a solid Christian guy, but he just looked at me like. I can't believe this is the future, <laughs> the future of America. Well, Jesse, well, in light of that, people seeking a little bit of this and that everywhere. Um, today is the pleasure game or pleasure games. And so we want to start by saying pleasure itself. Let's be pro pleasure uh, that that enjoyable things in life are enjoyable and are indeed a great gift from God. So things like food, right? We can't, you know, you need to eat food to live, but it's like nobody wants to stick your mouth on a tube that uh, gives you soylent mm. green or gruel, uh, like you're eating what they ate in the Matrix, uh, or the TV show Andor when you're in prison and you just grab a tube to get your calories so you can work in a prison camp. Uh, but food itself also can be not just nutritious, but enjoyable, mm. right? And we need to say this too is a great gift of God or sexual pleasure, right? The uh, is a beautiful gift from God. Having resources or money, uh, we can maybe buy beautiful things that other human beings make. The relationships we enjoy with people, 
we enjoy these things as great gifts from God. So why do we have a problem with pleasure? Well, we can take it and put it out of place, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think if we do that, we do something, eh, we kind of shift things to where, where they ought not be in our own hearts. Yeah, this is like, I mean, you know, if you've read any Tim Keller, and, you, and we've got a quote here I'm going to read, but if you've read any Tim Keller, he's... He's kind of the guy who's helped me understand. Of course, Keller is just talking about what John Calvin has said before and others yeah. before him, but but this idea that anything, any good thing that God has created that we turn into an ultimate thing right. becomes an idol. He wrote this right. in uh, his book, Counterfeit Gods. Um, <clears throat> he said, when most people think of idols, they have in mind literal statues or the next pop star anointed by Simon Cowell, American Idol. <laughs> yeah. This is this is a little bit dated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yet while traditional idol worship still occurs in many places in the world, internal idol worship within the heart is universal. In Ezekiel 14:3, God says about elders of Israel, "These men have set up their idols in their hearts." Like us, the elders must have responded to this charge, idols. What what idols? I don't see any idols. But God was saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. Amen. So uh, this idea that humans would take good things, right, Uh, no matter what they are, and he listed some, I listed some, and then deify them or center our lives around them. I like to think of your life orbiting around things, mm-hmm. right? The, your life will be centered on the largest thing in your vision, what you love the most. And if you take something, right, that's a good gift and make it ultimate, uh, we find out eventually, now it sometimes takes a while, that pleasures themselves are poor gods or poor deities. Yeah. Now, just as an artifact of history, there's just an interesting study to be done where if you look at the things that maybe in polytheistic religions, if you remember back to your reading of Hamilton's mythology, if you look at various pantheons of gods and goddesses throughout history, historically the things that people worship aren't like, here's the here's the doo-doo god. There was nothing like It's always, <laughs> right? It was, it was always those things that were pleasurable or important, like uh, gods of the harvest for food and drink, god of wine, or gods of uh, love and sensuality, or gods of war, right? Things that were uh, essential or terrifying things, god of the sea, right? Uh, were those things that were worshipped. Now, so there's a tricky thing here where these pleasures are indeed gifts and related to God, but yet we can't turn them into gods. Even some of the things I mentioned, right, food can turn into overindulgence. I've been reading a a, a series of blogs by a, a young lady named Lainey Greer. She's got a, a series on obesity in Christianity, right, that I think we ought to read um, about the importance of uh, food, but the overindulgence of and the, the the health problems, massive problems that result, right? Uh, we did an episode in our Embodied series on feeding and caring for the body, mm-hmm. ourselves, or, or substances, something like a good glass of wine at a wedding, right, or a celebration can turn into all sorts of addictions. And we all know the headlines of opioids and fentanyl and, you know, my kids always talk about like how kids can't deal without vaping now and, and you know, everybody 
got all the weed stores everywhere where weed's legal. These things that exist in the world can be overindulged in and then they can conquer us. Same thing with sensuality. Remember back episode one, uh, 122, Revolution du Cour, the mm-hmm. revolution of the body, the sexual revolution, and some of the byproducts of making sexuality uh, an ultimate thing rather than received as a gift by God to, to be received in the context that he created it. Four. And so when pleasure becomes central, pleasure goes wild. And so I want to use this phrase, Jesse, to kind of guide us, uh, that instead of receiving uh, a gift with gratitude, right? That's when you get a gift, you should be grateful. Right? Oh, I got a gift. Instead of receiving a gift with gratitude, we can attempt to replace God with some of God's good gifts. Now, when we do that, uh, we can start to plummet down as both individuals, but also as a civilization. This is not new. Like you mentioned some theologians that have engaged mm-hmm. this, Jonathan mm-hmm. Edwards, John Calvin, the Bible. But even like uh, Greek philosophers picked up on a lot of this stuff. Aristotle with this idea of golden mean, like, hey, too much of a good yeah. thing can mess up. Or I, I love the phrase that uh, comes through Pl- uh, Plato from Socrates, supposedly, right? Um, that he said people can sometimes be, he called, the lovers of sights and sounds, only focused on kind of the surface realities and not looking for deeper wisdom. And when that happens, we just become lovers of stuff. Uh, it can become problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and when you think about what Socrates uh, talk, is talking about there with lovers of sights and sounds, um you know, there's two things that are happening there. I think Reed. One is um, the 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 thing that you're meant to appreciate, love, receive as a good gift. Um, you're you're using that to access something else beyond that, right? So, yeah. so um, when you think about like even so, you mentioned good things like uh, you know whether it's good food or sex and marriage. Let's right. say between a man and a, and a woman in a covenantal marriage. Um, if you if you if your wife becomes or your husband becomes a means to the sight and the sound, right? right. You don't really want your, your husband. You want what this, you want the pleasure that your husband yeah. gives you or, or yeah. vice versa. Uh, then, then that's already sort of um, moving towards idolatry, shifting from receiving with gratitude to yeah. replacing God with the gifts. But the other thing that's interesting is uh, just because of the way that we're wired, the sights and the sounds have to become more, more and more sighted and sounded, you know, we need more sights and more. It's not like you just go back and you're like, Oh yeah, I just needed that one bite of ice cream. It's like, no, I need a little bit more. I needed something a little bit bigger, a little bit. I need to keep getting more and more and more and more and more insatiable. Yeah. Cause we're, we're trying to escape our kind of immediate, maybe we're depressed a certain day. Maybe life is not doing it for us. Life under the sun with sin and brokenness and suffering and death, all that's discouraging. So we can grab for the immediate, right? Oh, that's pleasurable. But you're right. When that doesn't work and we think, oh, we'll go back to the same well, we'll drill deeper, we'll go deeper. And then what happens? There's been a some research done uh, by this on its effect on on men, particularly young men in our culture, a book by Philip Zimbardo uh, called Man Interrupted. And some of you are familiar, I've quoted him before on the podcast or referenced his TED Talk, The Demise of Guys, where he talks about something called arousal addictions, where it's in, in here's a quote from Man Interrupted. He said, pornography, right? Porn and video games have addictive qualities. 
Okay, it starts out fun, but it's not the same as other addictions with alcohol, drugs, or gambling. You want more of the same. But with porn and video games, you want the same but different. Uh, you need novelty in order to achieve the same high. The enemy is habituation to a regularly experienced stimulus. We call this arousal addiction. In order to get the same amount of stimulation, you need new material. Seeing the same images over and over becomes uninteresting after a short time. The key is novelty of visual experience. Mm. You know, I'd love to recommend another book, Reed. It's not in our notes, but um, along the same lines, Wired for Intimacy by William Struthers. Um, And in the same same things that that you just read about, he's talking about about how um, the the kind of, uh, the way that that neurologically our brains are wired. He's specifically looking at male brains and in terms of uh, pornography and sexual experience uh, lead to this kind of release of dopamine and even opiates that that then um, when it's on demand, right. you know, when we're able to access what we want, when we want it, and in increasing measures, builds up a tolerance like with alcohol. A numbness, right? A numbness that then demands something more in order to sort of awaken it back up. You yeah. know, it, it, in other words, we're, we're producing a craving yeah. and a, an increased appetite or, yeah. a, or a, an increased tolerance on what will feed that craving. Yeah. As well. And really, this is what... Paul's talking about. Yeah, yeah. In Ephesians yeah, 4. Yeah. The, this this brings to mind, I just spent some time with some college athletes in the last month talking about relationships and, and you know, sexuality and different things, and then had an open Q&A with them. And I was telling one of their coaches that, you know, we were having this Q&A, he goes, make sure you bring up pornography. Mm. Now, he wasn't coming from a Christian perspective when he said that. I was like, whoa, yeah, we're, we're going to. I imagine they might ask. And he goes, man, all the research coming in on this is really bad for yeah. young men, how they're numb to it, how they don't care, how they need different and more. And how they, you know, you've got these 20 something year old men now who, who can't interact with real women uh, and they're having physical problems that, you know, you usually equate with Viagra jokes or something, man. And uh, it was interesting that he wanted to make sure that yeah. I was talking to these guys about it because this continual need for more. Uh, does not do well to the human soul that disciplined uh, with these pleasures and treating them as gifts rather than just letting them go in, uh, you know, 40 quarts of ice cream at once. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you go ahead to what you were yeah, saying. No, I mean, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think it's really interesting that you've got, you know, college wrestling coaches recognizing this, not from a biblical kind of perspective or, or, you know, not thinking in terms of like pastoral men, I need to really pastor my people or something, but this is just wisdom, human welfare and wisdom and and, grace um, insights. Yeah. But, but it is putting a finger on the fact that there's something insatiable in us that's connected to our wiring, the way God's made us so that's for worship too. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. And so Paul, Paul talks about this uh, in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter four, verses 17 through 14 says this. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that word greedy, the, the actual, the, the old NIV can 
uh, translates that as a, with a continual lust for more. So you've got this, okay, let me keep reading. Uh, but that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And if I can make just a, yeah. a quick comment there, you've got, you know, Paul is is brilliantly calling into what we're talking about here, essentially saying uh, the more that you give yourself up to sensuality, the more there's a continual lust for more because you become callous. You, yeah. Not just callous to the ways of God, but I think actually callous or um, numb to even the pleasure so that yeah. you've got to get more and more and more and yeah. more and more. And then he's he's showing the path forward is actually this kind of, uh, replacement that's that's yeah happening. yeah this beautiful idea that when someone becomes a christian right it's the ordering of these desires in a new way in righteousness and holiness right because there's a right, there's a holiness and righteousness in our relationship to the food family sexuality um you know a glass of wine right or the old self right with deceitful desires mm-hmm. man that your own desires could deceive you and lead you and plunge you into all sorts of ruinous things. And certainly all the recovery work is about this, right? Someone who's taken these things and made them ultimate, and it's really destroyed them. And now the reordering of the desires has to take place. And I love the language there of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And certainly something greater than these pleasures, right, uh, needs to be worshipped. Uh, mm-hmm. If the pleasant things of this life are ultimate, uh, we will be captured by them, but yet we can put them in their place, so to speak, um, when we have new loves, new affections. This is put well by the 19th century Scottish minister Thomas Chalmers. Uh, some of you may have heard of this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, and he traces this of how we were made to to desire certain things, um, but yet we need a great and high affection in the worship of God to really help us order these other things. And he traces them in a kind of a longitudinal way over yeah. the lifetime of a person. And I'll just read a portion of that sermon for us now. It is thus that the boy ceases at length to be a slave of his appetite. At least you hope boys grow up, right? But it is because a manlier taste has now brought it into subordination and that the youth ceases to idolize pleasure. That's one of the problems in Jesse and our civilization is that youth are are not giving up their youthful lusts or yeah. pleasure and continually staying adolescents. But he says, yeah, and that the youth ceases to idolize pleasures, but it's because the idol of wealth has become stronger and gotten the ascendancy, and that even the love of money then will cease to have mastery over his heart of many a thriving citizen. But it's because drawn into the world of city politics or another affection has wrought into his moral system. And and he is now lorded over by the love of power. There is not one of these transformations in which the heart is left without an object. And he's speaking of object of worship. Mm. Its desire for one particular object may be conquered, but as to its desire for having some one object or another that is unconquerable, its adhesion to that on which it has fastened itself, the preference of its regards cannot be willingly overcome by the rending away of a simple separation. Now, what he's saying there is like, look, 
as this person went through their life, they had something they were obsessed with, worshiping an idol. It just changed from one to another. And that the old one only passes mm-hmm. away when something new replaces that. Um, and he's going to say, Jesse, and I, and I think I, I fully agree, um, we can only change something in our heart. It can. He, he concludes this way. It can only be done by the application of something else to which it may feel an adhesion and a stronger, still powerful preference. And so the idea, he says, is like, look, we need to replace sinful desires with good ones mm-hmm. and that we need to replace the love of pleasure, love of money, love of power, all the things that people chase with the love of God. And when we have that in us, all those other things can find their proper place. But you don't just say no to things because the human heart has been made by God to say a resounding yes. And that yes for the Christian is is worship. And so when we worship God, uh, we can look at the pleasant things of this life and appreciate them without making them into an idol. Mm. Now, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that Chalmers' uh, sermon has been, uh, not just for me, for many people that I know, has been just a really important sermon. And the idea that you just talked about, that Chalmers talks about, and one of the things I noticed this time is, um, you know, the, the the real key of the sermon is, you know, the, that your affection for Christ, your affection for God and the things of God needs to be central and ordered above all the other affections. But, but this time... I've noticed, because, partly because I'm reading The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which I, I recommend, mm-hmm. but only with mm-hmm. um, some, you know, like, I don't even read the fourth book of it, okay? so, so it, Some theological discernment. That's right, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about a pre-Reformation yeah, yeah. Uh, a German uh, late medieval Catholic m- monk. Um, but he, he's got, let me just read this real quick. He says, uh, once a man is integrated, once his inner life becomes simplified, all of a piece, he begins to attain a richer and deeper knowledge, quite effortlessly because the intellectual re- light he receives comes from above. And then he goes on to say, there's no worse enemy to your freedom and your peace of mind than the undisciplined affections of your own heart. Now, the interesting thing I found in my, in my reading this time of, of Akempis that, that Chalmers is seconding is that... Uh, Akempis is not talking about sexual pleasure. He's talking about the pleasure of being th- thought of as smart. Yeah. The, yeah. the pleasure of, because again, he's like in a monastery with, with all these kind of intellectuals that are, so for him, he's like, there, this is actually a pleasure that's an idol that his contemporaries think is a good thing. Yeah, and, watching your podcast numbers go up. We have <laughs> exactly. a lot of listeners out there. And I think Chalmers in that quote is brilliant to say, hey, in other words, just because you're not, you know, giving yourself to this centrality of idolatry of sensuality, doesn't mean you're not centering pleasure. Doesn't yeah. mean you're not replacing God with pleasure. Because it may just be the the pleasure that comes from power, money, yeah. politics, yes. knowledge. Yes, and and in yeah. some ways, all these sacred games are playing the pleasure game because we're trying to get something from something that wasn't made to deliver exactly. that to us. Yeah. And uh, man, now at, at a civilizational level, Jesse, if all of us are just satiating our displeasure in life, or even trying to cover up our guilt and shame to create festivals of atonement by which we get drunk, high, and naked, uh, or buy, buy, buy stuff in the consumer game, if we just continually do this, 
uh, what does it make of us? Now we've joked about like the 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 people on the spaceship and Wally who have lost all bone structure and they just sit around being entertained and and but they're not really going after or doing anything. They're kind of just decadent, but not uh, uh, going forward with any kind of thing that honors people or honors God or makes the world better, right? And so there, there is a sense where in our cultural moment we can think, oh, it's chaos because of our politics and fighting. We'll talk about that next uh, time. Uh, but there, there's a, a, a book I read recently by Ross Douthat from the New York Times called The Decadent Society, where his thesis isn't that uh, Western culture is just warring itself into a, a, a non-existence. He's really wrestling with maybe we're just kind of comfortably numb, right, to quote uh, an old Pink Floyd song. Uh, and he said this, this is from Duthat's book, The Decadent Society. If you want to feel like Western society is convulsing, right, fighting itself, there's an app for that, right? Uh, I would say Elon Musk just bought it. Let that sink in. A convincing simulation is... Uh, is awaiting you on the on an app but in the real world mm. it's possible that our society is really leaning back in an easy chair hooked up to a drip of something soothing playing and replaying the ideological greatest hits tape from its wild and crazy youth all riled up in its own imagination and yet in reality comfortably numb mm. Mm, that brings to mind, you know, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, Reed, but uh, when we've talked about uh, Brave New World and, yeah, uh, and yeah. how um, Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, speculates that uh, everyone was really worried that um, Orwell's view in 1984, Big, Big Brother, Brother and, and totalitarian you know, state, that that was going to be what sort of <laughs> eroded civilization. But actually what Postman says is uh, Huxley's vision in, in, in um, Brave New World that we're that that's the reality that we're amusing ourselves to death. Now, Postman, for Postman, it was like watching TV. Watching too much TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, you uh, kids watch too much TV. <laughs> you got to get off that. that he, it's rotting your brain. He didn't know about that Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or TikTok um, yeah. or Twitter. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, probably they're both right, right? Yeah. We do live in a state where we're constantly surveilled. But yeah. but there's something to that idea that like, you know, in, in a brave new world, they're just sort of taking soma, taking which this, is a drug, a right? drug yeah. that's got the Greek name word for life. Yeah, yeah. You know that this is the, and they're kind of living in this sort yeah. of, you know, comfortably numb yeah. life, uh, and that's manipulated, not free, just kind of yeah. drones in this system, willingly giving maybe, themselves. Maybe our surveillance now, because we do surveillance capitalism, it is just like giving us our dopamine when we yeah, get likes we, on exactly. And we're we on can the, buy our stuff on saying, the Instagram hey, you can, ads. You can and, literally watch me as yeah. long as I get my dopamine hits. Yeah, yeah. From you can likes watch on Instagram. and like me, and I feel great about mm. it. Comfortably numb. Well, that's not. Uh, for our purposes, as Chesterton did say, for our purposes of faith and revolution, right? That's not good enough, right? We can't just be numbing ourselves. We have a purpose that we need to get after. So how do we maintain heart, Jesse, in this world playing the pleasure game? And look, we play it, right? Uh, the, the idols of the heart come from within us, right? We are tempted not simply by things outside, but also things that we desire. Anyone's tempted. I think Book of James says he's dragged away and enticed by his own deceitful desires, right? Um, what do we do? Now, um, I'm going to give you uh, give you some G's, right? We mm -hmm. talked about these already. First, we need gratitude. 
uh, if we live in gratitude, thankfulness for the pleasurable gift, right, we can have a chance to keep them in the right place um, and thereby glorify, like bring honor to God, right? Uh, and glorify the giver of the gift. Let's mm. glorify the giver for us, which is God. So there's five G's in there. Gratitude, gifts, right? Glorifying the giver who is the Lord, our God. Now, Jesse. That's a true and better 5G yeah, right there. That's a true and better 5G than the one that doesn't work when you're in a crowd <laughs> at a Formula One race and everybody's trying to access the same cell phone towers. Or you live in Radford. <laughs> or you live in Radford. For the, they don't have 5G, maybe, yeah. Um, well, this this uh, idea of looking in gratitude to the giver of all good things, I think is brought through really beautifully by... Uh, the North African Christian leader Saint Augustine of Hippo, he wrote something in a, in a sermon actually on and on first on on first the first epistle of John. And so, Jesse, would you read read a little bit of this Augustine for us, man? Gladly, gladly. Uh, God does not forbid you to love these things. Okay, let's stop there. Yeah, say that again. God does not forbid you. To love these things. So, so if you're listening out there and you grew up in a religious tradition, or maybe you're a Christian, uh, God is not anti-pleasurable, good things. You need to hear that probably because you were told you couldn't listen to music or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Um, okay, continue. Yeah. How be it not, not to set your affections upon them for blessedness, but to approve and praise them to this end, or tell us, that you may love your Creator. Ah. In the same manner, my brethren, as if a bridegroom should make a ring for his bride, and she, having received the ring, should love it more, ooh, more <laughs> than she loves the bridegroom who made the ring for her, would not her soul be found guilty of adultery in the very gift of the bridegroom? Albeit she did but love what the bridegroom, bridegroom gave her. By all means, let her love what the bridegroom gave. Yet should she say, this ring is enough for me, I do not wish to see his face now. What short, sort of woman would she be? Who would not detest such folly? Well, then God gave you all these things. Love him that made them. But if you love these, what through though God made them, and neglect the creator and love the world, shall not your love be accounted adulterous? Let us go to the creator who made the world. Jesse, mm. I love that image of someone giving a ring to his uh, soon-to-be bride. And her saying, "Woo, I got a ring. I don't need you, right? Mm. I don't even need to see your face anymore. We would think that would be ridiculous. And so this idea that we have good gifts for the enjoyment, but why? That we may love God for them. So in the realities that we face, if you enjoy a, a good uh, food or drink or or a film, or a philosophical chat you have with a friend. We don't make those ultimate things. We receive them as gifts, and we love the one who made all the good things. Five Gs, baby. Keep it 5G. Gratitude for the <laughs> gifts, glorifying the giver, who is the Lord, our God. The Gospel Underground Podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Five stars acceptable. Drop some sentences. We hadn't had a review in a little while, guys, but I've had a lot of feedback to mm. me. I want to see that out there, too. Why? So we can feel better about our podcast, Jesse. Send your comments, feedback, questions you might want us to take up here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. And we hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.